0: please take a seat. The reading is from Jeremiah chapter 31 from verse 1 to 14 and can be found on page 792 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back and page numbers for those are on the screen. So Jeremiah 31 starting at verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favour in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruits. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the foremost of our nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labour. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping, They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. And then continuing from verse 23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. When I bring them back from captivity... The people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all its towns, farmers and those who move about with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been pleasant to me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals. Just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them and will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Rose, for that um, reading. Um, and please keep uh, Jeremiah open. Uh, we're not going to look at all of the verses in, uh, that, that Rose read for us, um, Sad though, sad though it is, there's some wonderful verses there. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I mean, that's a sermon in itself, and I'm afraid I cannot go there this morning. But well done. for. We're going to just look at verses really concentrate on 31 to 34, which is, what, three verses? Should be really simple. So just, you know, you can feel your heart lifting, can't you? It's just three verses, Steve. Yeah. Yes, amazing what you can say on three verses. But well done for staying in in with Jeremiah. And um, we've we've reached, in a sense, the the key point, perhaps the the turning point, the climax, maybe. Um, And really, from 31 right through to the end, it's sort of almost uh, one theme, somebody has said. But we've reached this amazing point where, if you look back to 27, you'll see that... um, uh, Just as I, verse 28, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down. Do you remember the very first sermon we had? uh, And Tim was saying, you know, it's going to start with uprooting and tearing down. We had a lot of that. Well, now uh, I will watch over them to build and to plant. What we're going to hear about is something that is going to build up the people of God. And what is to be planted is a new future. And the new future is a new covenant, a new agreement. And that is what we're thinking about this morning. Just what is that new covenant? Because it's, it's the thing that you and I are in. It's, well, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two parties. So, yesterday, then, if anybody here, yesterday in church, we had a wedding. And it was John and Sophie, they were married. And amongst all the celebrations, the kiss, the cake, and the dress, they entered into a covenant. And all the key elements of a covenant were there. So we know we, we knew who the two parties were. Um, James was taking, did you know it was his first wedding? To take, that is, obviously not his first wedding. You know he's been at, but it's first one to take, and uh, and James got them to say their names, so we knew who the two parties were, and um, we knew the conditions they had to be faithful to each other as long as they both shall live. We knew the promise of, uh, uh, so we knew the promise of blessing if they do. It's a binding union of love, and uh, maybe the Lord would would grant them children as well. And then we had the sign of the covenants, the outward sign of the covenant, which is. The rings. That's right. I think there were two rings. Two rings? There were two rings. So, uh, well now, when God makes a covenant, um, those elements are there. Uh, and uh, I could go into, into detail on the elements, but his his first covenant, his first agreement with how he was going to relate to his people and how his people had to relate to him, that started with Adam. And There are lots of different ways of thinking about covenant. You know, it could be lots of different covenants, but I think they're sort of like an extended covenant that you see in the Old Testament. Adam, then there was Noah. You know the sign of the covenant with Noah? Yeah, rainbow, yeah. Then there was a covenant with Abraham, promise of blessing, of course. And you know the sign of the covenant there was something not so public, something very private. It was circumcision. And then... Then it all led to uh, Moses and uh, the, the, the covenant where now uh, it was very clear what our responsibilities were. And then there's later there's a covenant with David as well, a dynasty if you like. But I think um, as, as we go through, Jeremiah now is saying there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant. And it, it applies to you and to me. This is the thing that, uh, that came in as it were with Jesus. And understanding this new covenant is is crucial for your stability as a Christian. It's crucial for your joy, actually. And so, in three verses, there are four points. Right, okay, so uh, you started you feeling happy and now you're really worried. Right, okay, well, here's the first one. What's wrong with the old covenant then? What's wrong, verse 31, I will make a new covenant. So what's wrong with the old covenant? And here's my answer. Nothing. I'm going to qualify that, (laughs) because obviously the Lord says you need a new covenant. But here's a misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is the Old Testament, the old covenant, as it were, um, is to do with a severe God who demands that you keep the rules. Whereas, of course, the new covenant is all about grace and love and so on and so forth. And that's just not right. Um, You can see in this passage um, how God described the covenant at the stage of Moses with with the people and with Moses. Look at verse 32. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. So they'll both be joined together. Um, It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So we're, we're thinking about Moses now. But do you see what God did? Do you see, first of all, it was about grace, wasn't it? What did he do? I took them by the hand. That's what you do with a child. I led them out of Egypt. I led them through the Red Sea. I mean, we had the Passover and then the Red Sea. It, it It is God's grace right there that you see straight away. And, and God doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's a God of grace, and he's consistent throughout the Bible. And how did the Lord our God understand his relationship to his people? Uh, read on in verse 32. They, yes, they broke their covenant. Though I was what? I was a husband to them. So this really is about re- relating. Uh, the Lord is the totally faithful long-suffering spouse of his people. If you're, uh, if you're a woman, he's the husband you long for, but uh, if we can do a bit of gender-bending, you know, he's the one that we all long for. Um, isn't that what it He starts by grace, and he's a husband to them. So why then a new covenant? Well, it is not failure on God's side. God is consistent throughout. No, the failure is on our side. It's on humanity's side. It's on his people's side. And there it is, you can see it. In verse 32, they broke my covenant. Now you might say, well, look, Steve, we all all fail. We all fail. No, this kind of failure is... is is a kind of fundamental failure. Would you turn back, please, to Jeremiah chapter 2? And I preached on this, and even when I preached on it, I hadn't realized the significance of it. Jeremiah 2 talks about Israel's um, response to the Lord. If the Lord is the husband, uh, then you can read through how Israel responded. Um, and as you read through, you can see that actually, although she was devoted as a youth, um, she followed worthless idols in verse 5. Um, and uh, they didn't know me. They, uh, the prophets prophesied by Baal. And it gets worse and worse as you go through chapter 2. Um, you see verse 13 They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cistern. And then in verses 20 and 21, we saw something really shocking. Um, you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. And uh, it goes on, to, and then it talks about, uh, in, over the page in verse 23, you were like a she-camel, like a wild donkey, Sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her? And it goes on to talk in terms of, in chapter 3, of, of her being deeply unfaithful. The, the problem with not only God's people, but with us, is that within us is, is a real brazen, adulterous turning from God. It's not just, oh, I made a few mistakes. I want you to imagine that a wedding takes place at Platt, not not, not yesterday's, but a wedding take place, wedding take place, and uh, the couple go to the reception. And at the reception, one of the partners commits adultery with someone. At the reception. You would be shocked, wouldn't you? You would be really shocked. Now think about when Moses went up the mountain and he, he, he was given the Ten Commandments and on his way down, he'd only been away um, a, a brief time and when he came down, what did he find? He found that the people of Israel were worshipping a golden calf. They were committing spiritual adultery. It, it's that bad. This explains a huge amount. It, it tells you, You can't follow God without really getting converted and becoming a new person, without being born again. This is why some of you are thinking about Christianity, you're not sure yet, and you're thinking, I really don't think I can live up to it. You're right, you can't, (laughs) that's the point. (laughs) You can't do it. Your heart is just, it'll just go after anything. This is our problem, and 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 so I want you to see it's he, he he says let back to thirty-one I'm going to give you a new covenant. Now it's not a new law, I'm not going to make things easier for you. I was reading Alec Matthias, written, written a little book on the Old Testament, really helpful. He says, When God's people couldn't rise to the height of God's standards, the Lord doesn't lower the standards to match their abilities. No. He says, You need a new covenant. You need something that's going to change you on the inside. I, you need to change. <laughs> um, one of the things that's going to happen to me when I retire is I'm probably going to wander around different churches and you'll probably hear lots of different people preaching. And I have heard some people um, preaching, and it sort of deeply shocked me, um, where they've, they've said, well, we can't expect to do what the Bible says. You know, we're we're going to have to change what the Bible's requirements. And really what they're saying is, look, we can't change, so God, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to lower your standards because we we can't keep it. That's what we call liberal Christianity and isn't helpful. Um, Because the gospel, the new covenant is saying, God knows you can't change. He has this wonderful, but holy demands. He says, but I'm going to do something in you that will make you want to keep my law. Some people have even uh, suggested you unhitch the Old Testament. There are some, some writers in, in America that have used that very phrase. Let's unhitch the Old Testament. We can't do that. But the Old Testament is full of God's grace. And it's full of God's moral character. So what is needed is not for God to change, but for us to change. Do you see that's so important? If we, if, if we start to sort of change the Bible and snip bits out, which is what happened actually to Jeremiah's book, what you're really saying is you want God to change. No, no. God... God's not going to change. The new covenant is about us changing. It's about God doing something in us. So God is consistently gracious, but they broke the covenant. What is needed is not for God to change, but for us to change. So what is the new covenant? Here we are. What is it? What's good about this new covenant? Everything. I want to tell you, it is a miraculous, supernatural thing. When you become a Christian, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, a miracle happens in your heart. Okay? Does that sound good? Right. Well, here it is. We're going we're gonna to look at it. We, we have big flashy words. One's called regeneration. Right? Generation is to be born. Regeneration, born again. Right? Made new. New creation. Right? This is, this is so lovely. It's so wonderful. This is what God will do for you if you put your trust in Jesus. Right? Here we go. Three things. You know, this is like a 7.7. But there's so many good things here. It's outside in, right? Verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, Jeremiah talked a lot about the heart. Back in chapter 17, he said the heart is deceitful above all things. And in chapter 17, verse 1, if you're taking notes, he says this, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with flint point on the tablets of their hearts. So this this is God's people. Sin written on their hearts, as it were. I've got a photograph here if I just go through all the other points. What they tried to do was to get the law close to them. I don't know if you know, that's called a phylactery. It's in there, the Ten Commandments, and probably uh, more else besides. This is a, a strict Jew. He's trying to get the law of God close to him, before his eyes almost. But it's still outside. What is promised is that I will write... I, uh, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. When you come to Christ, God will give you a new nature, a new desire within you to do that which God requires, to please him. (laughs) Have you ever wondered, now that you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, why do you feel so bad about doing wrong things? Have you ever wondered why you felt so bad? You never felt bad before you were a Christian. Now you're a Christian, you go, I feel really bad. (laughs) Does anybody, anybody else feel like that? Because I do. Right, okay, okay. We're relating. Good, that's good. We're connecting. Well, the reason is, it's against who you really are now. Okay, I know it's small and weak, that new nature maybe, but it's there. That's who you are. You have a new heart. And when you go against that, that's why you feel bad. So God is going to give you... A new heart on the inside. That is a lovely, lovely thing. It's a new desire for God, a new nature. Secondly, you're going to get closer in. You're going to get the relationship you always wanted. Do you see, it goes on to say, I will be their God and they, and they will be my people. Or let me put it in the personal, I will be your God and you will be my people. No longer will they say, know the Lord. They will all know me. I was reading again a commentary on this, and uh, that little phrase, to know the Lord, it's quite different from knowing about the Lord. Knowing a person is is intimacy. When the Bible says in the Old Testament, um, it often uses the phrase, Adam knew his wife Eve. And when we read that, we think, "Well, that's all about sex, isn't it?" Um, and uh, it's 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 not really a coy way of talking about sex. It's it's telling you what sex is for. Sex is a sign of the deepest person-to-person intimacy. Right. By the way, that's why we teach that sex belongs only in marriage. Because it's not good for you to join up and then actually not really be joined together, right? If you're going to join up, then commit yourself publicly and then let sex be the glue that shows that you are one. But, but hold off before then. Hold off. And, and casual sex is just even, even worse because what, what you're doing is you're joining up and then in the morning, you're tearing off again. Which is why nobody's ever really satisfied with that. You glue together, rip apart. Glue together, rip apart. Do you see? That's, that's why the Bible's teaching is really helpful on these things. Where was I? Yes, <laughs> let's get back to the passage. Yes. Sex is intended to give both parties intimacy. So when God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, he's saying about you, you are my most treasured possession. And here's the miracle. In your weak and faltering way, you miraculously find that you want to say the same to him. Have you ever got to that point in your Christian life where, you know, you just don't know what to do, you don't know what to turn and, you're really stuck. And in the end, you say, Lord, I don't know, but I just, I need you. It's you I want. Have you ever got to that point where you've ever kind of said that? It's you I want. I, you know, it all seems to be falling apart, but it's you I want. I've discovered that. Isn't that a, that's a lovely moment? What it's saying is the, old new nature, the new nature's there. He says, you are his treasured possession. And you're beginning to say, do you know what? I think you are mine, too. I think I see the beginnings of a new heart here. It's lovely, that, isn't it? You're closer in. It's anyone in. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. Did you notice that? They will all know me. It's open to anybody who will take hold of Jesus Christ. Now, you're not a Christian just because you were born in the UK, right? Or or anywhere, actually, but... uh, you know, you're a Christian when you take hold of these promises, but when you do, it's anybody. And I am on an equal level with the Kurds and the Iranians and the Chinese and the British people that were baptized back in. We're all on the same level. And with you, we're all on the same level, anybody in. It's a great and glorious covenant. But how is it brought about? This is the third point. How is this covenant achieved? The answer is in verse 34. We see, we're at the end. It's, we're in there. The answer is in verse 34. For, the very last bit, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The wickedness is that Uh, deep-seated antagonism to God that we talked about that just simply doesn't want him. That is forgiven. And all the things that we've done wrong, do you see what it says? Um, They will be forgotten. God is going to forgive and to forget. Now have a little think about that one for a moment. Because what he's saying... Is that he's going to wipe all your wrongdoing completely from his mind. And you're thinking, how can he do that? How can he do that? <laughs> this is there something internal in God going on here. How can he do that? Every recollection that you were once a sinner, right, apart from God, is gone. Right? He's going to. He's going to wipe completely from his mind that you did this or you did that. It's all gone. It's all gone from God's mind. Now, how can God forget when God is God? Now, I mean, I, I love my mother very much, but dear mum has got a memory problem. And we know she's got a memory problem because she will ask you three or four times if you'd want, if you like her tea. You know, say, no, mum. I said, no. So mum's got a memory problem, but are we saying the Lord's got a memory problem? The Lord God who created the earth... What's going on? No, something internal has happened in God. Something has caused him to see that whatever it was that was against you is now not against you. It's gone completely. Now, Jesus spells it out in Matthew 26. And uh, when you come to a communion service, you'll notice this. The Lord Jesus says, this is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It is shed shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. What happened in God is that God the Son took upon himself all of those things and so when God the Father sees God the Son, he sees that they have been paid for, they've been dealt with. So I want you to imagine that you're feeling incredibly guilty about something you did in the past. And, uh, and, and, and you say, oh, God, you know, I, I, just, you know I, I just feel really guilty about this. And God says, oh, well, let me have a look. I'll go to the filing cabinet, you know, look at your file. Gets out the file. Of course, it's obviously on computer now, but anyway, he gets out the file, see? And he says, no, no, I've got no recollection of that against you, I can see that uh, there is a, um, that such a sin uh, was dealt with but it was paid by somebody else uh, I, it's just a blank sheet here in your, in your file all gone isn't that good isn't that good I told you it would make you joyful, it almost makes me want to cry So I don't feel worthy and neither do you but hey guess what paid for, it's dealt with, and it is completely gone from his mind. He has no recollection. That's what will happen if you bring it up. No, nothing there. And of course, if he forgives your sin, that means that his spirit can come into your heart and mind and make you a new person and uh, write the law on your heart. Now, what does this all mean? Um, what does this all mean? Well, the New Testament fills it out. Um, the two parties, the new covenant is between God and us, but Christ is the mediator of it. Um, the condition is that you simply believe in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is simply to say to him, Lord Jesus, i put my trust in you today. I, 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 I see your hand reaching out to me and I take it. I want to be yours I don't know what it's going to mean, but I want to follow you. That's faith in Jesus Christ. The outward sign of the covenant is now baptism. It's a picture of all your sins being washed away. And actually, um, the the, the communion service is a a way of renewing it, if you see what I mean, and remembering again participation in the, in, in, in the Lord's Supper. Remind yourself, yes, I make nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And you take the bread and the wine, and you take into yourself all that Jesus has done for you on the cross. Right? The blood shed for you, his body broken for you. Just take it in. Yes, Lord, it was on the basis of that, wasn't it? But Jeremiah actually finishes on two blessings of the covenant. Two things I want you to take away. This is is what it means to be a Christian. The first is you have an eternal, glorious life. And we are looking onwards now to the rest of the passage. Um, uh, We had to stop where we did, but um, if you read on, it says, this is what the Lord says, verse 35, He who appoints the sun to shine by day declares who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth be searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all that they have done, declares the Lord. Now that is a lovely way of saying it ain't going to happen, you know, you know, the, the, the sun and the moon are still going to be there. Of course, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we know that. But, you know, do you see what he's trying to say? It's forever. It's forever, this. Wow. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And here's the final thing. You have a social life. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. I, I, I know. I, I kind of got, I, I had a big smile on this one. You see, because... Jerusalem is the the capital and this city of God is going to be remade. So look at this. The days are coming, verse 38, declares the Lord. When the city, this city will be rebuilt from me from the tower of uh, Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will stretch from there straight to the hill of Gareb and then turn to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley on the east As far as to the corner of the horse gate will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted or demolished. And you're saying, what is all that about? Well, what it's about is that the cursed bits of the city, the the graveyard and the garbage dump, they're going to be purified. They're going to be made sacred to the Lord. This is a city that's going to be purified. And of course, a city is, you know, you, it, it's where you are with people. And kind of one of the things that blights our life still is that we mess up on our social lives, don't we? And, you know, we, we, we put something on Facebook we should never have done and all the rest of it and so on. And, so on. and then you unfriend somebody and uh, all of that. But not in this family, it'll be imperfect, I know. But every church should begin to start to feel like this, that you have brothers and sisters whom you'll be with for eternity and you will love them and they will love you. And it will be a pure, fabulous, unadulterated love. That's what Jesus brought in. That's the new covenant that Jeremiah promised. And I tell you, do you want to sign up? And I think all of you ought to say 100% yes. <laughs> it's up to you. But all you've got to do is sign up to it, right? What have you got to do? You, got to, you don't do anything. You just sign up to it. Only believe. You see, all of Jeremiah's tearing down was for this one purpose—to show you you couldn't save yourself, to show you how how deeply, you know, sinful we are. Tear down, tear down, tear down. Now, I'm bringing. God is God says, I'm bringing in something new, and all I want you to do is to take hold of it. You continue, of course. In obedience, but that's an obedience out of a new heart. You start to want to do what is right. So take hold of it today. Is this not the most amazing thing? I think it is. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we well we pause as we think that you brought this covenant in and you brought it in by your blood. This is how you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wish to relate to us. You're going to give us a new heart, a new desire. You're going to make us close to you, and you're going to, want us, you're going to make us want to love you in a, in a real way. It's going to be for anyone, Lord. And it's through your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, so that our sins are forgotten forever. And it's going to be an eternal life. And it's going to be the social life that we've longed for. Where relationships are pure and undefiled. With each other and with you. Lord, in our own hearts now, we, we reach out to you and we say, Lord Jesus, I take this to myself. Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. This is the covenant you brought in by your blood. Lord Jesus, I delight in this. I am a new creation. It doesn't always feel like it, Lord, and... I fail you many times, but it's growing. This new life is growing. Just just make it grow more, quicker, better, stronger. Because that's who I want to be. That's the real me now. Lord, all the things that I've done wrong that weighed on me as I walked into church, Lord, all those things that weighed on everybody here. They're forgotten. We're gone. Hallelujah. Amen.